I'm Martin Wilson, and this is The Next Turn, powered by ProTurn.io. The Next Turn is the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. So thank you for joining us in the pursuit of better, to be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with Breezy Johnson. Welcome back to The Next Turn. It's good to have you here. As always, it is good to have Jeff Bybert and Kara Williams by my side, fresh off of Christmas break. Happy New Year, Jeff. How are you doing, man? Happy New Year, Martin. Happy New Year, Kara. Uh, I'm doing just fine, just fine in this. I'd be better if we had some snow up here, Martin. Like I'm sure you're experiencing the same thing in the East, a little bit of warm weather and rain. But can we just talk just for a second about what just happened in Europe this last weekend? What's pretty spectacular is Michaela has 80 wins. <laughs> yeah, 80 wins. I, I can't think of anything I've done eight, well 80 times in my life. Kara, have you done anything well 80 times in your life? Oh, probably. Can't think of it right now. <laughs> Maybe shouldn't say it right now. But, yeah. And listen, can we give a shout out to Paula Moulton? Paula Moulton, <laughs> stepping on the podium right beside her teammate, Michaela. That's pretty spectacular this weekend, too. Watching Michaela's reaction, actually, was some of the best of sport I have ever seen. And I think Michaela has had her greatest um, after tough days and great days like that. Uh, just really fabulous. This week, we have a great conversation with Breezy Johnson. We spoke to her just about a couple of weeks ago, right after Lake Louise. We'll get into the details of that in a moment but before we get started as we do jeff give us the business give us the hard facts on breezy johnson breezy johnson born january 19th 1996 from jackson wyoming she made her world cup debut at the age of 19 in 2015 she tore her acl in 2018 while training in chile and then just a year later tore her pcl and mcl she made her way back to the world cup with podiums seven of them between December 2020 and December 2021. Going into the 2022 Beijing Olympics, she was one of the favorites in downhill when she again crashed in training, injuring that knee once more. Jeff, thanks for that. If those are the hard facts, Kara, what's the story with Breezy Johnson and this conversation? Well, yeah, clearly Breezy's had her share of career setbacks due to horrendous injuries. And we caught up with her earlier this season, just days after she made her return to the World Cup in Lake Louise, Alberta, a place that she loves with a track that has served her well. She stood on the podium there twice. Uh, she finished 16th and 26th in the downhills and 23rd in the Super G this season. So much further back than she would have hoped for or expected. And she was pretty vocal with her frustration and disappointment on her social media channels. It was a long, hard road back from injury for Breezy. And in this interview, she talks about what she calls learned neuropathways and the difference between skiing with confidence and without it. She also talks about the jagged pill that is discovering that just because you worked your tail off doesn't mean you're guaranteed results. Uh, this conversation is intense at times. Breezy is very honest with her high expectations and frustrations with falling short. And while this interview was essentially a debrief on her return to the World Cup, there is a happy development to the story. She went on to get a top five at the next downhill race in St. Moritz just days after we spoke with her. And she's no stranger to the podium, but at the time of this recording, she's still chasing a World Cup win. Kara, thank you for that. Jeff, thank you for the hard facts. Kara, thank you for the story, folks. Now it is time for our interesting 
and intense and thorough and in-depth and fun conversation with Breezy Johnson here on The Next Turn. We were just reading some of your social media posts and we're reading your breakdown of Lake Louise. Jeff and I were talking and he thought it was pretty fair. He liked the way you ended it. I thought you were a bit harsh on yourself, maybe a little bit, um, but it was kind of fair at times. Can you talk about where you feel you are in your comeback from injury and, and where Lake Louise sort of sits in that? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I've been skiing since August, um, been training since October. Um, and yeah, I, you know, we went to, it was definitely a little rough through like the early portions. It's definitely the hardest comeback that I've like ever dealt with. Um, but we went to copper, things were starting to like come together. I was starting to kind of feel more like my normal self, particularly in super G we had about four days of downhill in copper. Um, and a lot of super G I can't remember exactly how many days. So my super G was honestly like feeling a little bit more natural going into Lake Louise, which I thought was a little strange, but normally when my super G is good, my downhill's better. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, and got to Lake Louise and, you know, I think like, you know, since I started on the world cup, like, one of my skills has been like my ability to combat fear on any race course that we kind of enter and kind of your ability to bring confidence, I think is like the biggest thing that allows you to ski well on any um, racetrack because um, you know, if you watch the girls who ski with confidence, they're connected to the snow and they go fast. And the ones who aren't kind of skitter across the snow. And every time you skitter, you lose hundies and then tenths and then seconds. Um, and so, you know, but normally, you know, I was like, okay, like we have three training rounds, like I'll just kind of take it easy to start with. And, um, you know, it wasn't that great, but I was like, okay, it's first training run. Like you just kind of got to like, you know, figure some things out. And, um, but it was like, you know, in the last couple of years, normally, like even when I didn't have my foot really on the gas, like my training runs were pretty fast. My training runs have been faster or at least as fast as my races in the last couple of years. Um, just in general. Um, and then we, you know, kind of went through the races and, you know, I've been kind of going through the motions, but I've always been able to find something on race day. You know, you kind of like lock mm -hmm. into that mode and you, you know, feel it and you go. Um, and so to some degree, like I was a little bit like nervous that I felt like I was like banking on that ability in myself. Um, but I was like, okay, like, you know, when it comes down to it, like you can just like turn that on and go. And I felt like I skied pretty decently in the first race and I came down in like sixth or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, 
you know, like get a top 10 this first race. And then a lot of girls came down after me and threw in some really great runs and, um, you know, blew me a little bit out of the water. Um, and I was like, okay, not the best, but like first race, at least you did it like build on that for tomorrow. And I tried to build on it the next day and just didn't. And I felt like I was kind of, I was trying to like, I knew I was making some mistakes, but I was charging through those mistakes. And normally that kind of works out for me and it just didn't. And, you know, it, it is, you know, I know I didn't finish last, but it's pretty demoralizing to come across the line and you look at the number and you're like, wait a second. That's what's sitting on my chest. Like, and it's tough. Um, you know, and I knew from training in copper that I had been doing better than that. Not every day, but definitely some days, you know, I was, and so that was a hard pill to swallow to not get that, to not get there was like, not only like a little demoralizing, but like frightening for me, you know, because like, I mean, you see it all the time with people who come back from injury and they're, you know, maybe a little scared. They're maybe in a little bit of pain, like whatever it is, but you know, your neural pathways, like every time you ski well, you put in neural pathways that make you ski well. And every time you ski badly, you put in neural pathways that help you ski badly. And, and I'm still a little bit like, okay, you need to like turn this around because if you ingrain habits of skiing without confidence and skiing Mm -hmm. slowly, like that's, not it's hard to unlearn those because you can you you can do some to unlearn them in the summer but you also can't because you're not on a world cup level hill you're skiing but you're not on a world cup level hill so um you know i went into the super g and i really wanted to ski better and i felt like i i did ski decently the course was pretty easy in the super g Um, so I, you know, tried, you know, I felt like I skied pretty well and I definitely had some really good sections in there. Um, you know, being 22nd is still a little tough. Like I, you know, last year really worked so hard on my super G and my super G was like really getting to a place that I was really proud of. And so 22nd was not that place that it was, but I'm still like, okay, 1.3 off of like the best super G skiers in the world. Like, okay, that's something that we can build on. But I've never had a time when my super G isn't lining up or better than my downhill. And so that's like tough for me to just try to figure out. And so right now I'm just trying to figure that out and trying to, um, you know, get my skiing back to a place where, like, you know, I am ingraining those good habits because I, you know, like it's, you know, I, I don't like, I don't want to be like one of those people who's like, Oh, just like unhappy. But it's like, I worked really hard, like for the last nine months. And I, you know, when you're waking up, you know, 
and you're, you know, early and you're getting on the bike and you're doing all the things. And I was, you know, pushing my knee through range and it was fucking painful and it, you know, was tough. You're like, I want that win that I haven't yet had. And like, that's what we're working towards. Like people would be like, you know, people would tell me right away, like, they'd be like, you know, you're working so hard. Like you're going to be as good as you ever were. And I was like, I didn't work this hard to be as good as I ever was. I worked this hard to be better than I ever was. And so that's kind of like my point on Lake Louise and the very long winded version of that. But, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate the candor and the honesty, honestly, I really appreciate how hard you work. I'm coming at this as a coach. What's the conversation you have with Jeff Blackie and the other coaches after Lake Louise to strategize as, as your coach, I would be very much like, I know it's not what you wanted, but there, here are the things that went well and we can build off of, right? Here's how we address like giving you some real confidence and some evidence-based confidence over the next few days. Is that kind of what it's like, what's the strategy? Like it's, it's just first week of December, you've had three races. How, how do you just, take a deep breath, course correct. What's the strategy? How do you develop that strategy? And maybe you could tell us what it is. Yeah. I mean, so after like every race weekend, we do a debrief. We, if we can, we do them on the Sunday after the race, but in Lake Louise, um, you know, everybody's like (laughs) running out of town and it's very, it's very chaotic. Um, and so we haven't had one of those debriefs. We're actually having one later today that we have. And we kind of talk about like what went well and what went poorly. And, um, you know, one of the big things from my side is like confidence and it's been tough, like coming back from injury, like basically like I've always had, you know, we've always had coach coach transfer, Um, if that makes sense. So, you know, even if we lost some coaches, we kept some coaches and, you know, so we always had people who we kind of knew. And this year was a really interesting year because we lost all of our coaches. We lost our physio. We lost our normal strength coach. Um, so the only like stable person, like for me on my team right now is my wonderful technician, Alish Saponik. And so it's, you know, and I haven't had that much time to get used to the new coaches to kind of figure out their style. Because when you hear like a course report or you're an inspection or whatever, I would say you like put on like a filter, you know? So, you know, in the past you have like, X coach is like always super like rosy about things. Right. So you're like, if a coach comes over the radio and he said, if that coach comes over the radio and he's like, well, there's like, you know, there's a few bumps down here. You're like, okay, we're going into a fucking minefield. Certain coaches that are like, I don't know. There's like maybe some girls who are like having some problems down here, but they're like always like super conservative coaches. And so you're like, it's completely fine. Like I'm not even going to notice anything, you know, kind of a thing. So you're always like filtering that. And, you know, I'm still figuring that out with these coaches and we haven't had like a ton of time to, you know, to do that because, 
um, you know, I haven't been training that much. So that's like one thing that we're just like in the process of. And obviously you don't really learn how a coach works until they, you're on a world cup hill with them. And, um, you know, I think trying to figure that some of that stuff out, I think also like mentally now I'm like, okay, well, we know kind of what didn't work in Lake Louise. And so I think like, I'm like, yes, going into summer, it's like, you know, the bright side is, it's like Lake Louise was one of the iciest courses that I have been on in my seven or so years on the world cup. And so hopefully summer, it's will not be that. So I'm like, okay, I'm already feeling a little more confident without like, you know, the ice. I mean, we were literally in inspection and, you know, I almost got hit by a German coach. Like I'm, you know, sliding around and can like barely stand still on, on the ice mm-hmm. in certain places. <laughs> so it doesn't, that, that doesn't like give you a lot of confidence going in, obviously when you have those conditions. So I know that going in and then two, I'm just like, okay, now that you have, you have this piece, like you need to go into the first train run and you need to step it up a couple levels and you need to, you know, work on dialing that fear back and work on, you know, I would say like you kind of throw fear in the back seat. You can't get rid of it entirely, but you can kind of have it so it doesn't talk to you. So, you know, I need to work on kind of taming that and pulling that in. Just watching you ski and watching you perform, I think of you as somebody in downhill who the execution level of the plan is usually pretty damn high. Like you pick your line and you go. And you talk about working with new coaches and trying to get what you want. Let's humor us for a second. Will you take Jeff Vibert and I to San Moritz where your new coaches, could you tell us what information you need from us on the Hill uh, as, as coaches? What do you need to hear? What information do you want? One of the things that like I can figure out somewhat myself, but I, but I, you also always need help with the biggest thing is line for me. So whenever you're going down, you're, picking a line and coaches help a lot with that you know they're always giving you their advice and obviously they stand there and watch it and so they can tell you okay if you come in low if you're not on that postage side stamp on the turn before you can expect this going into this turn whether it's that you need to hook up the hill more or you're going to hit a bump because you're not online or whatever it is and so that's That's like point A that as you're going down the slope, you're, um, you know, figuring those things out. And then you, and then you have your course inspection, which is, you know, a lot, like a lot of coaches watching other skiers, because for me, I basically at this point I'm running first on the Americans. When I first joined the team, I used to have other teammates who could radio up to me and say, this is how it's running, but I don't have that right now. So I need the coaches to say it's looking fast in here, or it's looking slow, or it's looking bumpy. Cause sometimes, sometimes there's bumps and they're like really just waves. And if you go over them at, you know, 10 or 15 miles an hour, which is what we're doing in inspection, you don't feel them. You don't see them. You don't know that they're there. When you hit them at 80 miles an hour, you feel them, you see them, you get rocked. And if you mess up, you end up in the fence. Jeff, do you want to take us uh, Breezy and myself back in time? I always like to do this with our athletes, Breezy. So uh, I understand you grew up in Jackson, Wyoming. 
Can you just take us through your childhood days? Like, how did you get into the sport? Was it your parents? And then the transition to ski racing, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, so my dad taught my brother and I to ski in our driveway. Um, there's a nice little sloping area. And so he taught my brother and I to ski there. Um, and then we bounced around. My dad was actually a ski coach for a little, um, a little team outside of a place called Idaho Falls, which is near where I live. Um, so we skied for there and he was my first ski coach, um, and got me into the sport of ski racing. My dad raced, um, through like high school, um, and just really loved the sport. Obviously both of my parents, you know, moved to this, to a ski town unless you like skiing. And so Mm -hmm. both of them were big skiers and big race fans. My mom never raced, but, um, just kind of stumbled across the sport and became a fan of it. Um, and so they kind of always knew that they wanted their kids to ski race. And, um, it's definitely a thing in Jackson hole. Most of, I would say 70 to 80% of my, um, like friends growing up raced at some point in some, at some level. Um, cause it was just kind of what you did. There was a bus that would that would go to the ski slope. There's a, there's a town ski hill in Jackson and we used to ski there from four to six under the lights. I love that. Snow King is awesome, huh? Jeff, are you still there? Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And and so, and then, and then can you take us a little bit further? We understand you went to, uh, to, I think Martin wants to talk about the Romark Academy, but you, you eventually go to an Academy before you, you know, make it to the U S team. Yes. Yeah, so I got a little older and I kind of was, you know, struggling. I just needed kind of a change of pace. Um, I decided to go to Romark ski Academy, which is down in salt Lake. Um, I lived with host families. So I moved away from home when I was 13 years old and, um, you know, was, I, I was always super serious about the sport. It actually frightened a lot of adults. They were like, you need to have more fun. And I was like, I need to go faster is really my issue here. And I'm not like, I'm not always like a fun haver. I'm not, a, I'm not like the most smiley bubbly person on the hill. Um, because I'm like, I just find a lot of joy in like improvement and getting better. And like, I'm kind of analytical like that. Um, and so I was always doing that. So I went to Romark, um, and went there and they had a, they had a really serious program, which was great for me. Um, so I skied there for four years and when I was 18, I made the national training group, um, and then the U S ski team from there. At 12, you were taking it pretty seriously, huh? Oh, I was taking it seriously by like, I, I remember that. Define taking was, it seriously. Define taking it seriously. I just like was really into it. I don't know. Like, I don't know what, I don't know how to define it. I mean, I liked training a lot. I did go to ski camps really early, although I don't know. I don't know that that's like something that I'm like, Oh, this like made me a way better skier or anything, or like something that I would say that parents need to do for their kids. Um, I just, you know, from when I was like, from basically when I joined the sport, I was like, I want to win. Like they're giving out gold medals and I want that one. I remember when I was like nine or something, I, I was too young. I must've been like seven or eight or something because I was too young to win, like to, that there wasn't really an age group classification that they were giving out medals for, for my age, but I beat all the girls in the age classification above me 
and they they didn't give me the gold medal for their group and I was like but I won and they were like yeah but you're not a J5 or whatever and I was like but I beat all the J5s so like her medal like I was literally like I want you to take that medal that you just gave to her and give it to me (laughs) kind of a thing um yeah it was a it was a moment in my life that happened, and I'm still a little bitter about it. <laughs> I appreciate I mean, your honesty. In part because, like, one, I I actually always like I love when I was a kid growing up. Like, I love beating the boys. I love beating kids older than me. And so, like, I was like really psyched to like win against kids who were older and supposed to be better than me and then they were like oh we're not going to acknowledge that because that'll make them feel bad and I was like I want them to I I want like my like award for the achievement that I like worked so hard for I gotta imagine though I gotta think this sport being as cruel and as unusual as it is at times like this sport doesn't give you what you deserve often (laughs) Right. Like it's not this balance of I've worked X hard. I've done everything right. I get this. Like you have to do those things right. And you may or may not get them. How do you balance that? So I would not say I'm a very patient person, but I would say that when I was when I was um, in high school, I went to a race and I remember I was rooming with this girl and I, I had, it was junior Olympics, which they don't do anymore. So I had won like one of the races. And if you won one of the races, then you got to go to this international children's race up in Canada called Whistler cup. And so I had won. So I was going to Whistler cup, like no questions asked. Like I didn't have to do well the rest of the weekend. Like I wanted to do well for sure. Um, but I was rooming with this girl who also was very good and definitely had a shot of winning, um, winning later that weekend. And I remember she was telling me, she was like, I want to win and I want to go, but I don't want to want it so much that it's going to hurt if I don't get it. And I was like, wow. Okay. Like, cause I had been in like a lot of situations where I wanted to win and I hadn't won. And it, it hurts. It hurts a lot. And I was like, I don't ever want to like hold myself back from achieving because I might hurt myself. And to me, like ever since I've like tried to operate in my career in a way where I put a hundred percent of myself into it. And that like at the end of the day has to be the reward. Like you can want, you can want results. And I absolutely do like, but at the end of my career, I want to look back and say, I never took the easy route. I just, I want to work at it in a way that's not holding myself back. And that is like, the that's kind of like if you can look back on your career like that like when you like look back it like gives you the sense of pride because so many people are so afraid to do that at the end of the day the biggest thing that I want is to like look back and be like 
I have no regrets. I skied as well as I possibly could. And like, that's really tough when you like come across the finish line and you're like, I shouldn't have stived that turn. And like, uh, you know, I should have done this instead. That kind of thing is like really tough for me. And so that's kind of like the biggest thing. And like, you know, so yeah, like, you know, injuries and like not winning races or whatever, like might be tough, but like, I don't even know if like, like there's definitely like in this, in the world that I live in, there's a lot of people who live their life that way and aren't afraid to fail, but there's still some who like haven't put it all out there. And, you know, like I've literally talked to people, you know, in a finish and it's like, you know, you like, I was at a men's race and I, you know, watched, you know, Marco Odermott win. And I'm like talking to this guy and he's like, yeah, I saw Marco's run. And I was like, nah, like I could, like basically he was like, I could have done that, but I didn't want to risk it. And I was like, I want to like risk all that's like reasonable. You know what I mean? Like, I obviously don't want to like sacrifice my career for like some crazy fast run where I just blow up. But like, I want to like work, work hard, like day in, day out, regardless of like, whether or not you're like seeing the results, like it's not just a job. It's like something that I just like really want to be good at because there, there are still are people even at the world cup level where it's like, they're just really talented, but it's just a job for them. They're like, cool. I got top 10. I made money. I'm going home. Like pay my bills, did my thing going home. You know? Um, I've got a couple of thoughts. One, I'm looking at Jeff's face and he's smiling and nodding. I think he's going to try to adopt you and take you home. Um, the way that you're talking he loves that talk. Jeff, you want to jump in? Uh, I mean, obviously Martin and I talk about this all the time. I think two things to be a great ski racer, you got to love it and you got to love winning, which clearly, <laughs> clearly uh, it seems like that's part of your makeup and you probably love winning at everything, whether it's playing cards with, with your family or, or on the, a balance board or hop turns or whatever it is. Um, did you always knew, did you always know that you wanted to be a speed skier? I did not always know that I wanted to be a speed skier. I wanted to be a ski racer. I, my dad watched a lot of world cup film when I was a little kid. And so like when I was like in kindergarten, it was like, what do you want to be? And it was like, I want to be president. I want to be a firefighter. And I was like, I want to be a ski racer. And they were like, okay, sounds good. Um, but I was protective services. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, they weren't because they were like Joey over here wants to be preg- president. They were like, okay, you're just as weird as he is. Uh, it was just weird that like when I was in kinder, they're like now they're like maybe I should have called child protective services. Like, <laughs> why did that girl know what she wanted to be and then she like went and did it? Nobody does what they wanted to be in kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I, what, like, but speed was something I wanted to, like, do all four events. Like, my hero was Yanitza Kostelik, and I wanted to, like, do it all. Like, I wanted to have it all. And I had a very, like, real conversation 
in high school with a coach of mine. And he was like, he was like, okay, like, but what, like, but what if your choices are between not doing it at all and doing this piece of it? And I was like, okay, (laughs) cool. (laughs) Well, I guess I'll do, I guess I'll do something. So I would say that like, I liked all the events and speed were the ones that liked me back. Super GM downhill liked me back. Um, you know, I like last year when I had 500 points and like things were coming together, I was like, like I was thinking about like maybe making a comeback in GS um, and like seeing where it took me. I mean, for one, I wanted to have like a shits and giggles race because I'm pretty sure that I, I still don't really think that I can make a comeback in those events because I genuinely am one of the worst technical skiers that has ever made it this far. Um, If you just look at like my fist, if you just look at my fist points, like I'm just saying from like a fist point stance stance, like that's just objectively true. There's, there are a few now who have, who have never been ranked as like who, who haven't been ranked very well in giant slalom or slalom. Um, and I think that like, but yeah, I, um, but I, yeah, for sure. So maybe we'll see it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make a comeback one of these years. Who knows? What do you, te- uh, <laughs> what are you good at technically in downhill? Like, again, I think your strengths are probably in s- inspection or knowing the course and executing your line that, that make a yeah. big difference in, in, in in speed, it seems you hit your, that postage stamp you mentioned often. Um, but what are your strengths as a skier, as a speed skier? What is it, your, it a, a long patient arc, continuous balance? What is it that you feel that you're good at in speed? And then we'll get into why the hell can't you do it in GS? Um, well, for speed, like I definitely am like really good at reading the courses. I think, um, I'm like very intellectual. And so I do, and I don't know if it's like that I've watched a lot of skiing over my life or like that I'm just naturally good at it or like, you know, that I really try to like focus, have tried to focus on it and get good at it as long as I've been doing speed, but I am very good at kind of you have to do a lot of mental physics, um, down the course at 80 miles an hour. So being able to like see that. And then also like when you're readjusting, being able to know like, okay, given this speed, if I press on my ski at like 80% of my best, then the arc will match this turn. And if I, you know, I need a hundred percent here and whatnot and so on and so forth. So that's like one of my skills. A lot of people say that I'm a good glider, um, which I think a lot is based off the fact that I'm not very good at GS and B am a large human being. Um, because (laughs) traditionally, if you actually look at my gliding splits, a lot of times they're not very good. Um, a true gliding split. What I am also pretty good at is going from steep to flat. So I can run it. I can do a couple of turns off of a steep onto a flat 
and figure out how to carry that speed. I can't always get the top of the pitch very well, but I get the bottom of the pitch onto the flat really well. Um, and so, so, yeah, so I, I don't always do the flats. Well, I don't always do the seats well, but I can do that steep to flat um, pretty well. Conversely, I am not very good at the opposite, which is the breakovers. <laughs> um, if you watch a lot, particularly a lot of my super G, uh, runs breakovers and blind gates. I often end up in the wrong spot on. Um, but because a lot of times, like when I can see it, I can figure it out. And when I can't see it, I can't always figure it out. Meaning those blind breakovers. How much of you, you talked about your intellectual side and your skiing. And I found it fascinating. you like, I need 80% of this, pressure i could i could create i need 80 percent of that and gets me a i don't know 32 meter arc or, or whatever the formula is i hear you say that and i wired the complete opposite i couldn't imagine like i'm a feel person i'm like i, I yeah, yeah kind of that feels all right like and i need to whoa i need more now less now can you think that way can you talk that way or is it i'm just very much doing a math problem on the way down <laughs> well it is somewhat of a feel thing because you are like i'm like okay when i like have the right transition or whatever like i'm feeling that like i can't mm -hmm. always describe to you how like i lay the turn up but i can i'm a lot better like i'm like i know you have that kind of mental it's not like a picture but it's mm -hmm. like a mental you know whatever of how of like what that's supposed to feel like so um there is there is some of that for sure are you that analytical with your equipment do you play a lot with your boots your skis your quiver so maybe i'm a bad feeler in part specifically because of that, because I cannot feel a freaking thing with my setup. Um, that has been like for better and for worse at times. Um, because like, I remember like atomic changed their boots, like whatever years ago, you know, and they did like the carbon fiber boots. And I used to have parents, like I was on the US ski team at the time, parents would come up to me and they'd be like, like where, like, do you, like, I want to buy the non-carbon fiber boots. They're ruining my son's skiing. Like he cannot ski at all on these things. And I was like, I don't know how to help you because I am skiing on those. And like, it's fine. Like I like I've gotten, I've gotten better in like the last few years. And I've started to be able to just be like, I think I, it's more like, I can't really be like, I know I'm not, I'm definitely not like, I know that this is going on, but I'll be like, Alesh, I think that these are like better through the bumps. Like it seemed a little, maybe like it was a little bit better through the bumps and like a little smoother. And he'll be like, yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. And I'll be like, cool. Okay. And that's then I'll so be like, I think that it's like, I think that it's like, you know, coming into the top of the turn a little quicker or whatever, you know, but I'm not, I don't mess around with my equipment that much. Um, Alesh, 
does a little bit. We, I mean, we do kind of your standard messing around. Like right now, obviously Atomic is transferring between bindings. So we're playing with two different types of bindings. Um, but we try to keep it pretty simple. I've had the same boots for four or five years like not the same pair but the same yeah, style yeah. and i just like and atomic has like a lot of different types of boots right now they're like we have this like because they have three different versions mm-hmm. and then you can have upper and lower cuffs so you have whatever that is six or nine different options um so it's they there's a there's a lot of um people who are running different setups for their boots. And I've just been running like the same ones um, for a while. So we mess around like a little bit, but like, as far as like canting and all that kind of stuff goes, I do not mess around that much. I, and in general, like I, I get that for certain skiers for sure. But I'm like, I'm not, like the best skier on the hill like I think I'll focus on getting better at skiing I think that'll help me more than like some equipment that's like somebody's playing with like somebody who's got great technique and they've like they really don't like have that much to work on so they can go play around with equipment but I'm gonna stick to trying to be better at skiing which is really hard when you're switching around I think it's when you want that those victories that you're that you've tasted and touched and smelt and stood beside and it's right there when you want those um it's and, and you talked about the people that that are willing to put themselves out there you're willing to put yourself there make it hurt i'm all for that if you believe that you can do it now i'm not saying you don't believe i want you i'm asking you to reconcile how do you say that you're not the best skier out there when the end goal is to be the best skier out there. <laughs> so when I say the best skier, particularly in that context, what I mean is that I'm not the most technically proficient skier on the hill. A lot of the reason behind that is that a lot of your technical foundation is built at a, at a young age. And one of the beautiful things about speed and is that you can kind of cheat. So you might not naturally stand over your outside ski, but the turns are long enough and you have enough time to think about it that you can tell yourself to stand on your outside ski and you can do it like, and you're not like naturally or subconsciously doing it. You're doing it consciously. But the other thing is that I am not, and I don't think I will ever be the most beautiful skier on the mountain, but this isn't a judge sport. And if you look at, I say this as a compliment to Sophia Goja, she's not the prettiest skier on the hill. You know, I used to like, I, Francesca Marsalia just retired, but I used to love to watch her. She was a beautiful skier. She is an amazing skier. She doesn't have that many World Cup wins because it's not all about that. It's 
about how fast you go from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like to some degree, I am really good at certain things. And then I'm, I have certain weaknesses that are pretty weak. And particularly when I started skiing, were pretty weak. And so it's really easy for me to gain time on those things because what I'm good at, I believe I'm one of, one of, if not the best in the world at. And what I'm not good at, if I gain a little bit, it helps like a lot because I'm picking up dollars and everybody else is looking for pennies. Welcome back. Thanks so much to Breezy for a wonderful and candid conversation. I really appreciated her honesty and insight and experience that she shared with us. It is now time for our Swix Thoughts of the Day. As always, I'd encourage you all to share your Swix Thoughts of the Day with us at thenextturnpodcast.com. Jeff, you're up first, boss. What did you think of the conversation with Breezy? What are your Swix Thoughts of the Day? Okay, guys, listen, I love how competitive she is. I love the win. She's going to win or beat you or die trying to beat you. That's her attitude. And I love that about a ski racer or any athlete for that matter. I love how realistic she is about her skiing. I think what she said to us, Martin, was I'm not the best skier out there. So I have to work harder than everyone else. And she is clearly on that path working hard she's rehabilitated how many times off these knee injuries and i just think her expectations are so high coming back that if she dials it back a little bit and kara just talked about her fifth a couple weekends ago she's going to have that success again and we're going to see the old breezy johnson right back at it on the world cup winning and standing on the top of that podium not just second or third Fair enough, Jeff. I like that. Kara, what are you thinking? What are your Swix thoughts of the day? Well, like you said at the end of the interview, Jeff, I also assumed that Breezy was motivated by proving people wrong or defying odds set against her. But, you know, when I reflected on everything that she discussed in this interview, I think it might boil down to the pain of not winning. That might be what really drives her. And I went back and listened to a few parts of the conversation again, and and it kind of came to me when she talked about Um, The race where she beat all the kids in the age group above her, but didn't get to stand on the podium because she wasn't technically in that age group. It sounds to me like she still carries that feeling, that emotion. Don't you think? Like she worked so hard, yet she had to watch someone else collect the medal that she should have rightly won. And, oh, I understand that completely. Um, For over five years, my kids weren't allowed to win medals at our club championships because I was the program head coach. And they had to stand and clap and watch me put medals around the necks of their teammates. And it made them sad and angry, yes, but it also made them work harder because when the results were finally posted, their names were no longer crossed out so they could hold their heads high knowing that even though they weren't recognized and celebrated, their hard work paid off. They knew where they stood. And I think that that's what drives Breezy. It's got to be so tough to come back from the injuries that she's had to come back from and, and put a ton of work to only find yourself placing well outside what you believe you're capable of and where you finished before the injury. That's, that's, a, that's her benchmark. 
So she views to me, it sounds like she views good results as a reward for her hard work. And I really want that to serve her well, but I'd like to see her go a little easier on herself and stay positive and, and, and believe in herself. I really hope that she believes in herself because it's clear that she's already looking at her career through a future slash retrospective lens, if you will. And, and she knows what she wants and needs in order to satisfy her end game. And that says a lot about her character to me. I appreciate that, Kara. Thank you. For me, I appreciate the character in her that allows her to be so honest and forthright with us. You know, getting to know her in this conversation right after Lake Louise, the amount of honesty it was was overwhelming, and I really appreciate that. Just my personality, I have a hard time with an athlete that pings at this kind of frequency, this this high demand that ha- that is not very forgiving. Now she seems to be okay with it, and she seems to manage this well within her within her own bubble. Just I, I'm saying, I that's the hardest thing for me is getting an athlete to sit to to take the foot off the gas pedal. Often, as coaches, we're pushing and pushing and pushing. Breezy's one of those athletes. Hey, a little kinder, like you were saying, a little easier on yourself, and you might just get what you want a little sooner than if you keep banging your head harder and harder. Um, Saying that, I have no doubt in in Breezy's willpower. Like, I, I think I said it in the interview, she's like Neo in the Matrix. She will bend the spoon by pure will. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that she will. I'm not betting against her. It, it was really interesting as well. This is my last point, was talking to her when there is a chink in her confidence. Um, and again, really open and honest about it. It's really interesting to see how an athlete puts that back together. And after this conversation, days later, she she found some more results and that will come. But watching an athlete look for their mojo again is a really interesting time to get a snapshot at them. So thank you, Breezy, for letting us take a look at that. Those are my Swix thoughts of the day. And again, I encourage all you to share your Swix thoughts of the day with us at thenextturnpodcast.com. Until next week, we will see you soon here on the next turn. Be well.